Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. And welcome everyone to my independence report. I hope that you're having a wonderful day and things are going well for you. I just wanted to point out that in real time, there are 98 days to the election. So you need to make sure that you are planning to be there and to cast your vote because this is going to be one of the most important elections of our lifetime. Okay, that's a political segment of the day. And uh, I'd like to uh, uh, talk to a gentleman that uh, we've talked to before. If you, if you go to the podcast, um, he, was, he did a series about, we did, a, we did a talk about Michael Newton and the Newton Institute and, and Life Between Lives and his experience and the book that he's written, which is three and a half hours um, in heaven, I think that's. I, I don't have it exactly. Regan, is that what's what's the well, exact title? The exact title is three hours thirty three minutes in heaven. Ah, very nice. And it was a it was a great uh, time for us to talk because Doctor Newton of the Newton Institute Institute was a uh, a pioneer in the concepts of what happens to us not only after we die, but what happens with life between lives, which is really unique and, and not very many people have, have done that. So I highly uh, encourage you to get uh, Regan's book as well as uh, um, go to uh, the Newton Institute and pick up Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls. Having said that, you've got a whole list of things that I want to talk to you about. And the first one okay. I will... First one is you've written a second book, and that book is called Reincarnation is Real. Tell us yes. about that. Well, it's an introductory book uh, for people that have always kind of wondered about it a little bit, and I've kind of gathered a lot of the current research on what's going on. People don't realize that there's actually uh, uh, a lot of research being done into reincarnation because the world is a little different now, so that since it's kind of out in the open, um, some people decided, like, well, let's see what can we do to research this to kind of prove it, you know. And so uh, the book um, actually uh, uh, explains, um, uh, you know, what, what you know, like I say, what the latest is going on, which is about uh, a lot of it has to do with children uh, that remember past lives. Uh, you, you know, um, the people doing research on that figure, well, you know, because when people experience past life, if you're an adult, a lot of people will say, well, I, I bet you just, you know, you, you were, um, oh, uh, what, what's the word? You know, you, in other words, you, 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 made, your it mind made it up because yeah. you saw a TV show or, or you heard about it somewhere. And so your mind just made it up. Well, children, on the other hand, that are two, three years old, they've not been, um, you know, not heard and had all this life experience that the rest of us have. So there's less chance of them making it up, you know, uh, or whatever. And when they've been able to um, go back and prove some of the things that the children said, and, and uh, for instance, uh, the University of Virginia, they're the ones that are forefront in doing the research on children who remember past lives. And they've had 40, over 40 years now of research. 
and they have 2,500 uh, cases in their files now. Or children, they've interviewed the children. The children have told them about who they were, where they lived, you know, who they were married to, if it was that sort of thing, if they had children, whatever. And with the information given, they've been able to go back and actually find that person who they were, you know, in a, in a past life, because most of those were pretty recent, you know, were, were even some people were still alive that were from their life before. Um, so, you know, once you get, you know, half a dozen, (laughs) you start, your eyes start going, wow, maybe this is true, but my gosh, okay. Now they have 2,500. Okay. That's, you know, I don't know how many cases some people will need before they go. Yeah, this must be real. You know, um, you know, it's interesting when my son, yeah. was, when my uh, youngest son was like three years old and my wife was disciplining him, uh, he looked at her and he said, now, you know, when I was the mom, I was like, what? <laughs> That's shocking. Yeah. So it was a real, it was really like, well, what? And uh, so, but th- those things happen and there are kids and they can now go back. You're right. They, they have now gone back and they've verified some of these claims because these events and the event of these people's death actually happened. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. And, you know, because of the way, um, you know, Google is now and how easy it is to uh, dig up things from the past, it's a lot easier today to verify things, you know, to go back and do the research than it once was, you know, so it's becoming, you know, uh, easier and easier all the time. One thing children say sometimes, they'll say something like, mommy, when I was big, or they'll say, mom, before I was born, or that's what my daughter said when she was three years old, just out of the blue. She just, we're, my wife and I are in the bedroom and she just comes up and she starts the sentences and she says, mommy, before I was born, and, and then both of us just stopped and kind of looked at her and said, what do you mean? And she says, well, before I was born, and she said, I was with Jesus, and I was looking down, and I picked you as my mom. <laughs> that just, you know, we didn't know what to say. Like, whoa, you know. Well, yeah. Um, so, um, you know, kids have these little memories. And my, uh, my granddaughter now told uh, my, my daughter, uh, one morning, she was talking about her other brother and sister. And she said, my other brother and sister, and, you know, my daughter says, her, you don't have any other brothers and sisters? She says, yes, I do, Mom. And, you know, my other brothers and sisters, you know. So um, you have to listen to these little kids, you know, and not dismiss it. If they if they say something like that, well, just gently question them uh, over time. You know, and ask them a little more questions about that, and things come out, you know. Let's talk about the uh, the actual concept of reincarnation because there are different uh, ideas. As an example, in India, uh, they are they don't they don't kill uh, cows and snakes because they're scared yeah. that that might be Uncle Harry. Um, yeah, you know. But but in reality, does that does that really happen that way, or are we as, as human beings with the human soul that we have, are we different? And so we kind of reincarnate uh, back into what we are and rather, and animals do the same thing, but on a kind of a different level for what they yeah, do. Yeah, well, in, in the research that we've done, um, what's kind of come out is that we say generally a soul 
reincarnates upwards and it doesn't usually revert. You know, if you figure at the state of consciousness you are now, there's usually a continuing of, of a greater and greater and greater uh, evolved, you know, evolved um, evolution as you move forward. Um, but uh, I have had uh, and know of cases where uh, people will talk about past lives and they'll say, um, for some particular reason, they decided to uh, incarnate into, uh, even if it's just temporary, into some sort of animal or something. But it usually seems to be for some side, uh, uh, you know, for some side reason or some, you know, like there's a one gentleman um, found himself, uh, he, he was temporarily in a pet store in the body of a dog. And um, it was only temporary, but he said it was uh, horrible what he felt because he was, you know, how dogs just, just love people you oh, know? Yeah. And, and love all that. Well, in this pet store, every time the, the, the man would go home in the night and he's in this cage and the doors are shut and he's there all by himself with no humans around. And it was just this feelings of, of abandonment, of loneliness. And um, then uh, it was a short lived experience, but when he was finished having that experience, uh, he really understood, um, uh, he really understood so much more about uh, what it feels like to, uh, uh, to be abandoned, you know, to, um, and you know, he said it was just an experience that changed his life in a way because he had a, he was given a, uh, uh, a different perspective on things, you know? So, um, yeah, we've had, you know, people that in the case histories were sometimes when they reincarnated their life was, uh, I remember the one case cause it was kind of shocked me where <clears throat> when you ask the person, well, where are you? And then you discover that this soul, uh, this life was being, uh, missed. It was like when the earth was forming and it was being cooled and a lot of souls um, agreed to go down to use their energy to cool the earth. And so the soul was in a sense, the essence was in this mist that was cooling the earth. And uh, in talking to her, she just was saying this was, it was a great life. I mean, she just thought it was, there's was something about the experience of being in this mist, which was just invigorating, you know, and, uh, so that was that gave me a little bit different perspective on like wow that's something else you know when you when you realize that when when we're in our true essence we're we're energy you know and that energy can be in anything you know just like you know our soul we have this physical body but that energy is able to to um, embed in this hu human body well it actually can embed in anything that it wants to for whatever, if it has to have a certain experience for something, you know? Um, oh, sure. <laughs> it's, I don't know, the more that I do this, the more my eyes just get wider and wider and I go, whoa, that is something else, you know? Um, <clears throat> but for most people, um, like in the, when I, in the book is, uh, it's an ebook. And what's cool about this, the ebook is, is I can embed in there some videos so that when they're reading the book and we're talking about uh, children who remember past lives and then I have them click on a link, you know, since they're reading this on their computer and the link pulls up the little video uh, about either a reporter reporting this or a research place talking about this uh, and they get to actually, you know, see 
the the child and, and see the, the little video. So I've kind of done people's research for them so they don't have to search all over the internet. So as they go along in the book, I think I have six or eight, and I forget now, different videos in there. But it's it helps people to start to understand <laughs> what reincarnation is all about. Um, so when when you look at yourself as if you know when you say who you are, when you look at yourself as you are soul with the body instead of body with the soul, it it changes things. You know, changes your perspective. You know, and you realize that this body is just like a a shirt that you're wearing, and when you're done with it, you just cast it aside and put on another one. You know, um, th- then um, that's that's the first thing I think of people. Uh, people realize that um, and start talking about themselves as this essence first. You know, that we are soul, and we've taken on this body. You know, because we kind of grow up thinking that this body is is the main. You know, is it takes precedence over the soul. Oh yeah, um, and and the soul yeah. oftentimes was just developed to be in this particular body, but that's really the reverse is true. The soul picked the right. body because it had a use for that particular car. That's a metaphor that I use, which is it's yeah. like it's like uh-huh. a car, and when the car's done running, you don't stop. It's like have you ever had a dream? And I figured this out uh, a little bit later in life, but I used to have dreams where I would be falling. Mm-hmm. And if I was falling and I got to the end, I expected, you know, I, I would close my eyes and expect to hit and, and to be dead. <laughs> and, and I would open my eyes and I now would be on the ground. I wouldn't be dead because you don't die. You, yeah. the essence of you remains alive. Now the vehicle that you were driving is probably wrecked beyond recognition, but you are still, yeah. you're still there. And so that's, that's why when you dream and you dream that you're falling, you never die because you yeah. don't. Yeah. Well, what I feel, what I feel in the research that I've done too, is that feeling that almost everybody's had that feeling of falling or of flying. You know, that where you have the feeling that you're, you're I love flying the flying buildings and think, oh man, I can't, yeah, when that happens, I don't, I don't, sometimes now because I can control my dreams sometimes and I realize I'm about to wake up and I go, no, 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 I don't want to wake up. I want to keep flying. It's just, it's, it's so, uh, I can see why some people uh, want to hang glide or, uh, you know, parachute or do something because it's kind of that, that same feeling, you know, of freedom of like you're, you know, you're free as a bird in a sense, you know. Uh, and I think that's the sensation people have when they're soul traveling, like when they're they're not quite conscious of, uh, like they're, they're half conscious that they're in their body and they're half conscious that they're somewhere else. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I remember a few times when I've come back in my body uh, from flying or something and I feel like I, my whole body in the bed kind of jumps, you know, like I have a, a uh, crash landing or something back in my body. Uh, yeah, I can but, see that. Uh, yeah. It's uh, kind of in, invigorating, you know? So but, um, when, when people talk about uh, reincarnation and how do you talk to somebody who's uh, I, not cynical, but skeptical? Well, when I look at the logic, even if you just do the logic of it, reincarnation has, there's a lot more logic to, um, reincarnation than there is in the in, in our traditional way of thinking because you just think about how long 
in, in this life, you know, when we figure, um, uh, when we want to learn to be a better people, like more patient or kind or have more compassion or anything, I mean, we, we go through one life and we, we barely make progress in just that one thing, like even just to be patient, you know, it can take a whole lifetime just, you know, getting used to being patient. I kind of looked at it as like, I figured if, um, you know, if I got into like uh, doing computers or something, I mean, it would, it would take a whole lifetime just to know everything there is to know just about a computer, you know, uh, or one thing. And I say, how can we, you know, how can we learn everything about everything in just one short little lifetime? And um, so what reincarnation does is that it gives you a chance, like if you're going to college, say to, to start taking all the courses in college instead of just, you know, English 101, you know. I mean, there's also English 102 and 103 and 104. There's just so much to learn um, that there's no way that in just one lifetime that we can can learn what we need to learn. And, you know, that start, when I was starting to believe in reincarnation, that's what started to make me think of the logic of it. You know, and then, like, why? Why are there so many religions? You know, why are, so, why are there thousands of different ways of looking at God? And how can, you know, you know one one way of looking at it be the only way that never made sense to me, you know, even when I was a kid, you know? Um, so, um, when you start realizing reincarnation is real, it's exciting because you realize, wow, you know, it's like looking at the college there and looking, you know, at the, at the, at the university to say you're flying over university and you realize how much knowledge is there, you know, to learn. And instead of taking one little part of it, you get experience the whole thing you know so it's uh it kind of makes life exciting and also it explains um why you know bad things happen to good people you know uh that's probably the biggest thing that some people say is you know well it, it you know they're trying to realize well <clears throat> how come this one little, this little baby's born and the baby gets run over by a car or something when the baby's uh uh two years old or something like what the why you know why, how does that make any sense? Well, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> I don't think I talked about this last time I talked to you, but there was a man I knew, and he had a three-year-old little girl. And um, the, the little girl caught uh, a bad cold, so he took her to the doctor. Well, the nurse at the hospital there uh, put her on a wrong medication, and his daughter died in the hospital. You know, it was a mistake by the nurse. And, of course, he is like livid. I mean, you know, he says he's a, he was a good man, very religious, very spiritual, but he says, he says, Regan, I, I, I got to tell you, I, I wanted to kill that nurse, you know, and she killed my little daughter, you know? And so <clears throat> what he did, he just was praying and asking God says, why did my daughter die? Well, that night in the dream state, uh, his daughter came to him and said, dad, I'm okay. You know, I'm okay. I just pa- I passed away, but that's I came down to do, I had a contract with this person to balance out some things because I killed her by mistake in a past life, you know? So the, the little three-year-old, you know, told the dad, don't be mad, dad. I said that I was only supposed to be here for that time. And you were supposed to go through the experience of losing me because you had some things that you had to learn, you know? So <clears throat> him having that experience, all that happened in the dream state, um, it was real enough for him that he believed it was his daughter. And then he, he, uh, he started being able to accept the fact that there was a reason for all this, you know? 
Well, I never, so, I never could understand personally how you could uh, believe in a concept where you were born, you lived your life as that person, and then you died, mm-hmm. and then you went to heaven and spent the rest of eternity. I've got a couple of issues with that. The first one is the Earth is uh, four and a half billion years old. Now, a billion years, just for those of you who don't aren't math wasn't your primary degree. A billion years is a thousand million. Wow. Now, when you look at a thousand million, now the dinosaurs were here 200 million years ago. That isn't even a little bit of time as far as the earth being here. So if the earth has been here four and a half billion years, what would be the purpose for us to be here for 70 years, which is an extremely short amount of time, Oh, and, yeah. and also, uh, you don't get to have all the experiences. As an example, it would be terrifying but interesting to be somebody that was lynched or to be a black woman from Nairobi or to be a gay person yeah. or to be, you know, all of these different experiences of, of hate and division and fear. And I think that we're here to experience that so that we can understand and rise above it. What's your thoughts yeah. on that? Uh, that's what I believe too. Um, it's funny because even these things we're saying, I mean, like somebody will say that, you know, we've heard the argument. Well, <clears throat> there's, you know, so many, if reincarnation is real, how come there keeps being more people on earth than there was before, you know, like, uh, or, um, you know, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the argument they make about just, you know, with the amount of people on earth. Um, but once you realize that, you know, the earth is just a drop of sand in the universe, you know, as far as, I mean, the, it, we can't even imagine how many trillions and trillions or whatever's larger than that of, of essences or souls that there are, you know, because pe- people, <clears throat> what we found out in the research we're doing, when people are in trance, uh, and I ask them, uh, one of the questions I ask them, what my clients is when they're in trance, I say, have you ever lived and incarnated in any place besides the earth and another planet or another dimension. And it blows me away how many of them just immediately go, yes, they go, they go, yes. And I says, well, can you, can you take me to one of those places or explain to me? And wow. I mean, I find people uh, talking about, uh, had one gentleman, um, uh, he's a doctor and um, he was, uh, oh my gosh, ever since I had him as a regular client, uh, he was very hypnotizable, very, um, you know, he would go deep into trance very, very quickly. And, um, he said, when I asked him, he said, uh, yes. He, and I asked him, tell me about the planet. And long story short, what we found out this planet that he lived on had 50 years of light and then it would be 50 years of dark. And, um, he was, uh, actually a, a, a captain on a ship where they would go up because of the 50 years of dark that caused problems with their planet where some of the resources they needed would be depleted. So they had to go out and to, you know, explore other planets and things to bring back some of the stuff that their planet needed. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then, uh, he, uh, all of a sudden he's in trance or something and he goes, fuck, Oh my God. And I said, what happened? He says, that asshole co-pilot, we just crashed. <laughs> and that's his co-pilot made some wrong thing and they crashed and that's how he died in that life you know on some other planet so 
it's so it's so interesting and that's what makes it so real because when people are in trance sometimes they talk about these past lives they become like hollywood actors because uh, some of them embody that they, they're like they when they um they actually experience themselves back in that body having those experiences you know some people uh choose to look at it like on a movie screen so they're seeing it like um when i have them in trance they're like looking at it as above in a sense, like their consciousness looking down at what happened. Um, and then, but the, the ones that are the most fun in my cases are when they're actually in the body. Like sometimes people start to, when they're a child, and this is a 60 year old, all of a sudden he's talking like a three year old, you know? And uh, <laughs> it's, it, 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 we've even had, I haven't had one myself yet, but some of the other um, therapists at the Newton Institute have had cases where, uh, a person will start speaking a foreign language, which in their life now, they don't even know, like they don't know Chinese, but in their, when they're there, they start talking in Chinese, you know, I've heard of that uh, before. And, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's all over the board. I mean, this, we are just such a tiny bit of who we are, you know, that we realize right now there's so much more. Uh, and that's exciting. That that's, uh, you know, um, well, that's the other thing is, is that when you start talking about, uh, the, the galaxy that we're in the universe mm-hmm. that the galaxy's in and how many galaxies are in that universe uh, and it, the, the, it's inconceivable how many opportunities there are for growth that we have within yeah. just this one universe. And then when you start start to think about the fact that there may be multiple universes in multiple uh, dimensions, it it, yeah. it it can really it can really twist your noodle, as it were. It really twists your noodle, yeah. And and sometimes I have to just go, okay, I just can't. I, I I'm just not even going to try to wrap my you know wrap my mind around it uh, because it's just too much. You know, it's like my brain can't handle all of that there is. But <clears throat> here's the thing that I think if to that will relax people some is you figure the most important thing is what they're going through right now in other words they've chosen this life for certain things so no matter how many lives they had before how many thousands of experiences they've had and everything right now they are in that in their body right now to learn certain things and that's the thing that should be most important to them is uh is you know what's on their plate right now rather than you know, what would happen before. So, um, you know, there's and, some, and all of, Oh, go ahead. Well, I'll just say all that they learned, just learning that you have lived before and everything gives you, that's one of the benefits of having a past life depression is you, you realize that, um, you know, uh, you, you lived and had other experiences before, and now you're in this life to have an experience. So, uh, instead of uh, having your head in the clouds, uh, let's let's get to it. You know, let's find out what you need to learn and what you need to experience in this life, because that's the class you're taking right now. You know, and there there are some people who would say, all right, well, if you reincarnate, how come you don't remember your last reincarnation? And that is all by design, because if yeah. you had something that happened to you in your last life and it involves somebody that you are with now, and you're working out some karmic things, it's best to not to remember that and how you were abused or whatever it was at that time so that you could treat it from a, a brand new perspective and actually learn the lessons. Isn't that so? 
Yeah, it's actually a little bit of a combination of, uh, of both, but mostly like when we've had people ask that question on the other side, when they do the life between lives where they're actually in heaven and they're talking to a council or something, uh, the perspective that they get uh, is that they say that, you know, once you're born, once you come out of the womb, it's like a wall goes up and it's uh, for some people, it's thicker than others. Uh, for some advanced souls, the wall is a little thinner you know, so that they kind of have more of a connection to the other side. And some, for some people, it's 10 feet thick, you know, b- between here and the other world. Um, <clears throat> but, um, yeah, if you had, to, you had to think of all the different traumas, all the different things you had, you'd be so uh, scattered that you couldn't concentrate on your, on your current life, you know. So as it, it seems to be that as people progress and they become more spiritually aware, then the door between here and the other side opens a little more so they can get more perspective on this life. You know, some more, that's why with the, uh, there's so many benefits to doing a past life regression uh, because um, it gives you a, a higher perspective, you know, gives you more of an idea that, that you know, uh, that you're an eternal, uh, eternal soul, you know, that you have to never do that. And so it kind of takes away the fear of death, which is, you know, the biggest fear of, a lot of people have, um, besides public speaking, <laughs> you know, <laughs> public speaking is number one. Death is a close second. Uh, yeah, but, that's, that's what I hear. By um, the way, we're talking but, with, uh, I just want to get your information out. We're talking with Regan okay. Forston and, uh, he's written a couple of books. The first book you've written, the title again is three hours, 33 minutes in heaven. And the second title is Reincarnation is Real, and that's yeah. an e-book, and you can go and download that, and it's also got some uh, um, links to some other videos. By the way, I wanted to ask you, was one of the videos that you did about a little kid who um, who remembered being a uh, pilot in World War II? Oh, yeah, that's that's one a lot of people are aware of because uh, Oprah Winfrey had the little, little guy on her show, I think. Um you know, it was very talked about. And there's a, on, in my book, it's, uh, <clears throat> there's, uh, the story of that. There's the, uh, the little video where you, the mom's talking about the mother and father actually in the video, you know, talking about how they were unbelievers. Uh, but their son <clears throat> was so, um, insistent and he kept drawing pictures of airplanes and he even called it a Corsair, which how does a little three-year-old know that that's the name of one of the, uh, planes from world war ii you know and eventually in there he, he was able to go to a reunion of some of the men that were survivors in his uh group from world war ii and um the little boy when he's at this reunion here these guys are in their 80s and 90s and and he the little boy was shocked he goes oh they're old they're so old mommy <laughs> you know because in his mind he was picturing them like they were in the 40s 1940s and here they are in the you know 1990s or 2000s i forget when that happened but uh yeah it was um pretty much proof he was actually i believe i get a couple of these mixed up but i think they took him to his home where he said that he grew up and he was able to point out even things in the uh, uh bedroom and stuff um uh, you know uh, what his bedroom looked like at that time and in things and talk about his other relatives and stuff so yeah it's um uh, it, it, there's one video I don't have it because I couldn't find it again when I was doing my book, but it's out there on the internet somewhere because other people have even told me about it. And it's about this uh, woman who uh, always believed that 
she had other children and that she was from Ireland. And later in life, she did a past life regression. They were able to identify uh, the city where she was. So they did further research and they actually went to that city. She was able to point out the house that she grew up in. Uh, She remembered the names of her children. And then they went through records and she was actually able to find three of her children that were still alive. And they were like late, like in their eighties or nineties, she met with them and her three children at first being skeptical, but after talking to her and her being able to tell them all about their early lives, the things that they remembered, they uh, all, after some time say, yeah, this, this is my mom reincarnated. So that's, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? That's amazing. I got to ask you, I got to ask you when we're, when we're talking about reincarnation, there are some Mm -hmm. that would say that, that your time between lives can be as long as, you know, 30, 40, 50, a hundred, 200, 500 years. And there are other times when it's very quick. Is there in your frame of reference, a reason why some return quicker than others? Yeah. um, I was really curious about that too. So the research we're doing, the Newton Institute, when we find out and ask those questions, um, when you get to the other side, depending on how evolved you are, um, the uh, choices that you have for uh, being, like I say, a co-worker with, with God, with this essence of this loving essence of whatever it is, becomes greater and greater. So when some people are over there, they, they decide not even to come back again. In other words, they evolve to a certain point, but they'll go and they will, um, you know, maybe advance to becoming a, a a guide or a teacher or something like that. Uh, and sometimes they'll, they'll, you know, just want to, um, do some training and you say, or, you know, have some classes or something in heaven because there's, there's ongoing learning on all different levels. Even in heaven, you don't just stop learning. There's always something more. So it's kind of all over the board where some people go, man, I got to get right back in that, on another body, you know, because I need to do this. So there they'll be boom. They'll be back immediately sometimes. So it's kind of all over the board, but there is a, you know, generally speaking, um, you know, people come back, uh, you know, uh, I would say under, you know, 50 years or sooner. A lot of them now uh, say that they're they're coming back, you know, like every 10 years, 15 years, something like that. You know, for some reason, some of them are coming back quicker this time. We don't know exactly why it might be because everything's so sped up right now with learning and the way the earth is and stuff that they want to come back. So it's kind of all over the place, you know, uh, because when, when some people get up there, they've taken, you know, in other words, you go, okay, God, where do you need me? And they'll go, well, you're evolved enough. Why don't you help out over here? Or why don't you do this or that? You know? So, um, it's, uh, again, it's, 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 and the more we do this research, the more vast everything is. It's like there's just eternity. There's no end to anything. It's, it's like I say, it's hard to put your mind around it sometimes, especially the fact on the other side, there's no time and space. So um, that was, it's not so hard now for me to, to understand it, although it's still kind of mind boggling of, of the possibilities. But like when I have someone in trance and they go in a past life, we can go forward or backward in that life in an instant. You know, they can go back and have their memories as a child. They can go forward to when they're old and when they passed away. Uh, and um, uh, it it's, makes it uh, very interesting. <laughs> you oh, know. yeah. Well, and, and let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, Regan, the man. 
because um, <laughs> the, here's here's I'm just I'm just going to throw out your bio a little bit just so that people uh, know who we're talking to. First of all, your hand you do handwriting analysis, and that takes yeah. a lot of time to learn how to do. You've worked in Hollywood. Yeah. You were in, you are in the Screen Actors Guild, which, by the way, yeah. uh, for those of you who don't know what that means, and the reverence that you should hold for somebody that's actually <laughs> in the Screen Actors Guild, let me explain how this works, as I understand it. And Regan, you correct me if I'm wrong. But in order to get into the Screen Actors Guild, you have to have a union speaking part in a play, movie, commercial. Now, in order to have a speaking part in a play, commercial, or movie, you have to be in the Screen Actors Guild. So it's a catch-22. You can't get in there until you've been there. Is that right? Yeah. it's. um, uh, I got mine in a roundabout way. when I was in Hollywood, they, they, um, you have to have, gosh, it's funny now. I, I, I kind of forget exactly, but I know I had to have three, th- you know, three times where I got a, uh, a union part in a movie without being in the union. And the way that happens is you're on set and all of a sudden somebody who's union doesn't show up and they need somebody really quick or, uh, they need X to say, um, uh, I got two of my three things that I needed from working on a um, National Treasure Two, the movie National Treasure Two with uh, Nicolas Cage. Sure. And so they were. Ma- I was in the makeup room, and they were making me up as uh, in the beginning of, of National Treasure Two. It shows a scene in a bar in the 1800s when uh, uh, Booth, the guy who shot Lincoln, was coming through this bar. And he, they were making a, a plan with some other guys in the back room of uh, insurgency, you know. And uh, so they made me up. To, it was really cool. They, I spent like an hour and a half in makeup every day. And they made me, you know, put this beard. And we were wearing clothes just like they, uh, uh, just like they had back then. And this, this bar scene, I tell you, when it was full of about 40 people. And I actually felt like it was 1800s. It was so realistic with the, everything, all the clothes. All the furniture, everything was was like it was in the 1800s, you know. So it was it was kind of really cool just to even do that. Well, on one of the days, some of the people that were union didn't show up, so they came to me and said, uh, "You're you're working union today." And I went, "What?" And he went, "Yeah." And I went, "Cool," you know. So <clears throat> not only is the food better <laughs> because <laughs> instead of having hot dogs and hamburgers, you get steak, you know, with your union whatever. So that the, uh, the uh, food at lunch and everything was better. But, um, so two days they had, and they said, well, tomorrow you're working union too, because we don't have enough union people. So, um, the other one that I got was on a TV show and I can't even remember the name of it. Cause I, you know, you do all some of these things, you just show up and you do it and you're there and you don't even know what the show is. Sometimes you just, you know, you come in and it's part of a, a production and they only need you for an hour or two and then you leave, but maybe that production goes on for months, you know, you don't. So some of these things you said, go and get paid. And I had to be, uh, it's because I was a stilt walker in, in my, you know, in my clowning years, <laughs> it was a stilt walker and they need a stilt walker. And I go, yeah, I could do that. And so I just walked through this one scene that they had in this thing, but I got paid union, you know, union wages. So once I had those three things and that, that took me, I guess I was about a year in Hollywood doing all kinds of things before I got my three vouchers, I think they call it. 
And then I was able to join the union, which I did, and it was expensive. It was at the time it was like thirty five hundred dollars in Hollywood or something. Wow. So, you know, but did, it it felt good. It felt like a, a band, like a like something I'd achieved, you know, when I got that. And and but there's a there's also a double edged sword when you get your union card. And here's the thing people don't realize: um, <clears throat> when you get union, you, you can only do union jobs, so you can't do. You know, that's 90% of the work down there is non-union, you know, that you don't get paid and about 10% is union. Oh, I didn't realize so, that. So my agent, like I said, well, I want to get some parts like on a CSI show or something, you know, where I'm one of the suspects where I get to have some line, maybe five lines or something, you know, where I can tell them that I'm not the murderer or, or something like this. And my agent says, just, I don't think I'm even going to submit you for those because she said there's about 2,000 people of your you know, are just like me with the same statistics and everything that are trying to get that one little five line part. She said, it's just, it's like uh, winning the lottery just to get a five line, uh, you know, thing. So it's kind of a double-edged thing. Um, but where the money was though, is in doing commercials. Um, and in Hollywood, that's really, you know, for an actor, if they're going to make it, uh, you got to audition for it and get some commercials because if they're union, uh, those still pay really, 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 really good, you know? So, um, and uh, the thing that I liked, I did a thing for, um, National Geographic, uh, where I was, uh, Reverend Rainsford. It was a real man who, uh, it was, it's called the, um, the stories of the or party, like the rich and famous or something like that was the name, but they still show it on, uh, History Channel every once in a while because I keep getting residual checks. That's what's nice about that is you do one time and then you get paid over and over and over again if they show it multiple times. You know, so was that the, was nice that the show you. that was that the show that Robin Leach was on? No, I'm Robin uh, Leach. No. <clears throat> yeah, that one. No, this was um, Party Like the Rich and Famous. I'm trying to think. Um, it was about uh, in the 1800s when all you know. When, when the Industrial Revolution was happening, all these people, there were so many people that became like, you know, millionaires or billionaires at the time. And they they just, money was like nothing. I mean, so they would have a party like in New York City and they would spend like $40 million on a weekend party having all their rich friends come and just everything was just totally extravagant. Well, Reverend Rainsford at the time, a lot of these rich people went to his church uh, and I forget it was New York City or Washington or something. It was all were like the Rockefellers and you know, people go to the church. And he was incensed that they would waste that kind of money and just throw it away when there was homeless that needed to be fed. And there was, you know, mothers that needed to be taken care of. So when they were in church, he was reading them the riot act. And that was me uh, in that thing there. And he was, he was pissed. <laughs> you know, how dare he waste his money? You know, we need to... We need to build a new thing for the church here so we can take care of the poor. And here they are blowing 40 million bucks on champagne and caviar and all this stuff that they're doing, just throwing money away. You know, you know how so, I can tell that you were a real actor is that real <laughs> actors always say of the parts that they play, they do it in the third person. They don't oh. say I was in the show and this is what we did or I did. This is like, yeah. this is what, my character did and and his name was you know that kind of thing i had to ask and you that, also I, I, yeah. I because i we're going to run out of time you've got so much to talk about but yeah. i but i was talking with my sister the other day and they were talking about a reality show and the reality show the basis of it is that a single person is dropped into the wilderness 
And then how long can that single person survive before they give up and stuff? And my yeah. sister was saying, well, they're, <laughs> excuse me. they're, they're by themselves and they're not. I said, then how did, who took the pictures? They're not by themselves. It's the whole production crew that's doing this thing. Is that, that's, that's right. 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 That's true. Exactly. True. People don't realize that there's a, they're not going to die out there, you know, or, uh, <laughs> you know, they got the camera crew behind there having steak and, and stuff every night and they're out there eating bugs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what she, that's what she said was this one guy only made it at six hours because they dropped him into an area that there were a lot of black bear and it's like, oh, well, yeah. maybe so, but they're not going to put, I have yet to see a, uh, uh, a news mm. report of, yeah, uh, on Survivor, the uh, camera crew got eaten by a snake eaten by, yes. or a gal- alligator yeah. or something. <clears throat> well, in my, in my book, The Three Hours, 33 Minutes in Heaven, I talk about my time in Hollywood, and I did two, <clears throat> two reality shows, and it was a wake-up call for me. I did one on um, – enough years have passed now. I don't think I get anybody in trouble. But I did the show on A&E, and it was called Spying on Myself. And one of the segments was just, I had the whole segment was my segment. And um, uh, this is about uh, when we went in for the audition, we had to have a good story of somebody who betrayed us in our life or something that we still had issues with. And the story I gave is when I, I had a talent agency for a while, it, when I was an actor, I actually did, I had an agency where I booked uh, actually uh, entertainment for corporations like, you know, uh, bands and DJs and hypnotists and all the kinds of things like that. And that would, it helped me get a lot of corporate gigs as a comedian and a fake motivational speaker when I did that. But um, uh, what happened was uh, uh, I had a a secretary that uh, came in one day and she says, Regan, I quit. She says, I met a guy on the internet. I'm moving to Florida and I'm taking the uh, PetSmart account with me. Uh, At the time I, I was, um, doing all the grand openings for PetSmart's nationwide with all of their entertainment. And that was, uh, that was about 30, 40,000 a year I'd make on commissions on all that. And she just stole the account, you know? And so it, it cost me, there was three more years of my contract that probably cost me $120,000. So needless to say, you know, I had a family, I had five, I had four, you know, four children to feed and a mortgage to pay. And here, here goes a hundred thousand bucks that someone just stole from me. Well, anyway, they thought that was a good story. So the idea of spying on myself was they wanted to find her and lure her into um, like a a place for an audition for a job. And then I would be sitting at the table with her disguised so that she wouldn't recognize me. And that uh, during the conversation of, of getting the job, we'd ask about her prior employment and we'd find out about her boss, what used to be me. And she would talk about me while I'm sitting there, not knowing it was me. <laughs> now that's a crazy reality show, isn't it? Oh yeah. Uh, so anyway, they took me to um, um, Brad Pitt's uh, uh, voice coach, and they taught me how to talk like I was from uh, Al- uh, no uh, Georgia. So I had to change my accent. They actually uh, made a false set of uh, teeth for me and a n- new hair. Uh, they even shaved all the hair off my arms and stuff because I'm kind of a hairy guy and they, they didn't want anything to look like me, you know. And I swear, when I looked at myself afterwards, I went, who the heck is that guy? And it was actually me, you know. So <clears throat> here's the thing that I, that 
I, I tried to find my secretary and I couldn't. So they called me and said, well, we like your story still and everything. So they took me in with the producer and my agent. And they said, okay, nobody has to know about this except me and the producer. But you couldn't find her, but we like your story. So we found an actress that's going to play that part of your secretary. <laughs> <laughs> I went, okay, this is how it works, huh? You so <laughs> anyway, we did the show. All the crew, everybody, we, we had her meet at a, we met at a restaurant and she sat at this table and she was interviewing for a job like I had, like my company, which was working for a you know, talent uh, agency, you know. And um, so this actress that, uh, bless her heart, uh, it was across from me. I mean, she was so good. And, you know, at, and I had a bug in my ear. So because in this restaurant, all the, we took over this Mexican restaurant and everybody in the restaurant was extras in it. So uh, the only one that was the, uh, you know, with my secretary coming in, which was supposed to be my real secretary, was not supposed to know that. Well, everybody in the restaurant thought she was my real secretary and everybody in the production crew, except for the, the head guy and my agent, were the ones that knew that this was a, you know, it wasn't real. So, it, but it was perfect because this, uh, uh, you know, in my ear, I have a, I have a, microphone in my ear so the producer behind is telling me what questions to ask her and then tells when it's time for me to take off my disguise you know uh and so i did that and she was shocked that it was me and she cried and she apologized for what she did <laughs> and so it made me look good you know but that's when i realized that you know these reality shows are they're 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 somewhat real but they're somewhat scripted and they're not, you can't always believe it. Like, you know, <laughs> Hollywood is Hollywood. It's just, they create this illusion of realness. That's not really there, you know? So, well, I, I was, I was struck when I, when I was started thinking about this because there's this one that's out there that's naked and afraid. Are you familiar with that one? What's it called? It's called naked and afraid. It's, oh, I've only seen, uh, as I've been going through the channels and, uh, and part of me just goes, they're not that afraid. <laughs> so well, well, what I was thinking was, okay, you've got these two people, one male, one female, and they're both naked. Yeah. And they're supposed to be in the woods by themselves. And, you, you know, mm -hmm. if there's just the two of you, but there are 20 people that are around uh, that are making sure that everything's okay and stuff. So it's like you must have to really be con uh, confident in your physicalness to, to be hanging around naked in front of all those people for all that time. Yeah. 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 You, 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 you gotta be, well, yeah, it's uh, I, well, actually I went to, a, <laughs> I went to a nudist colony once. Uh, it was on my, <laughs> on my bucket list. You know, I got to do that one time and I, I met a woman I dated for a while. She owned part of the nudist colonies in uh, Oklahoma. And I was actually performing there at their, at their, uh, State Fair. I had like two weeks there where I was performing, uh, my, doing my 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 show there, and um, uh, and I I met her and she took me there and uh, wow, what a letdown that was. You know, it was nothing like I thought it was going to be. But <laughs> after a while, like you know, if you had clothes on, you're going to feel, you know, you're going to feel really out of place. You know, for one thing, you know, because everybody's naked. But uh, so, what kind here, of performance did you do with the nudist colony? I'd be curious well, to know. <laughs> Actually, I was just an observer with, today with with uh, this woman that took me there. So, uh, but the only thing I remember is we're having a barbecue dinner night. So here's everybody sitting butt naked on on all these uh, uh, you know picnic tables running around. I mean, there's kids running around, people and everything. But 
all body types, people into their 80s, you know. I mean, it was uh, totally not sexual at all. You know, I mean, I in my mind, you know, you wonder, wow, you know, totally the opposite of that. It was just, and it was, I kind of got to understand what it was just, it was like an expression of freedom or something, you know. I don't know. It was uh, that's, just at one time. That's why you know, God that, invented that, clothes. Yeah. <laughs> We didn't have to look at each other's bodies, you know. Exactly, because they're not all they're cracked up to be, and and most of the no. time there are a few, but but those those only last for so long, and then they join yeah. the rest of the unwashed. Oh, uh, back to the reality thing. The the other thing that gave me a another perspective was I was on um, I was on Master Chef uh, Five, and um, there was uh, I think five thousand people. But they went around to different cities around the country and people auditioned for MasterChef uh, uh, 5. And I think they had 5,000 of us they auditioned. And then I was one of the 100. They whittle it down to 100 that they start the show with. Um, and um, they know how to create drama that's real, but they create it by the way that you're, the way they treat you. Like when I walked onto set, we were not set, but where they were keeping us, uh, sequestered it was a hotel in downtown la and when you walk in the first thing they do is they take away your laptop they take away your phone they assign you with a partner into a room they lock the the door to your hotel suite so you can't even go out of it unless you call and have someone escort you somewhere so right off the bat they take away all of your stuff you know because they they don't and and you're locked in this room with someone who you don't even know at first. So luckily I had a, I had a, the guy that I uh, roomed with was really cool. And his dish was Python. He was cooking Python <laughs> and, and uh, he got actually kicked off the show just before I did. <laughs> in there. So does, but, uh, uh, is it, is it true that Python's taste like chicken? No, it tastes, it, it, he tried cooking it. He said 20 different ways. And, there was no way they could get it when they, when the judges tasted it, they just wanted to vomit, you know? So it was like, <laughs> you're out of here, you know? So, but actually he was two before me. The guy that got kicked off just before me was a guy that had a monkey that helped him cook. <laughs> 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 he was on the show on Mattress F5. So they were trying to make that show, uh, uh, give it a little different um, flavor. So how I got the job was, is because uh, I was a ventriloquist and uh, who liked to cook and that they found that interesting. So <clears throat> it took a whole year to get even on the show. I mean, uh, you know, three months would go by and they'd say, okay, you made it to the next level, to the next level. And they would interview you to see if you're good on camera, you know? Uh, and of course they had to like the food that you cook too. And I had a, I was really good at cooking. Like I knew like two or three dishes that were really cool that I cooked that got me on the show. But then I, 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 you know, I couldn't compete uh, with these people that were actually really, really into cooking, you know. So um, yeah, what was funny was uh, when uh, Gordon Ramsay, uh, I, I made a dish. It was um, uh, linguine with, a, I made a, like a butter sauce with it, with uh, asparagus uh, and shrimp. And um, I plated it where I made the asparagus like a tic-tac-toe board and I put the shrimp in the little tic-tac or in the... Uh, what am I saying? Not Tic Tac. Um, da, 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 da. What is it when you play? Checkers? Oh, yeah, it's kind of like, well, 
it's quite, we go, you know, you put an X here, another person puts an O. Yeah, that's, 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 that's tic-tac-toe. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of TikTok now. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm thinking, wait a minute, something there. But anyway, so, um, uh, but the thing that I got kicked off for, but I thought was cool was, is I made a fresh cranberry sauce out of fresh cranberries. And just like, instead of having wine, it was like just to have as a, pal- you know, you could have it to, to cleanse the palate. And um, two of the judges tasted it. And, and then Ramsey went, cranberry sauce with pasta like oh my god he wouldn't even taste it you know so he knew i was a ventriloquist and they had me have my, one of my puppets there harvey he's a, a talking dog you know and they said you have him with you and i go yeah and he says let me see him so i've never let a, anybody hold my puppet before but here i am on national tv so i got to do it so i take him out of his case and then ramsey puts uh, harvey on his lap and uh, puts his hand in his head you know on the puppet and he goes you know, you're out of here <laughs> with my puppet, you know, so I was not, you know, I got kicked off the show, but they wanted to be a little theatrical. So I actually got kicked off the show by my own little dog, you know, puppet. So how do you, how do you know, ventriloquism is, is an art form that is in some manner and ways has gone by the wayside, but it's coming yeah. back. There are some really good ones like Terry Vader. I mean, he's oh, in, he's in Vegas wow. and he does it's a great and the little girl that was on uh, um, America's Got Talent, um, yes, and she was she was just phenomenal as Darcy. well. Darcy, that's Megan right. Darcy, yeah. How, oh, she's fantastic. Yeah. How do you do ventriloquism? How did you learn it? Well, it, it's funny. Um, we're talking about the spiritual stuff. I had a I had a dream that I had back in 1978 or 79. And I woke up, I never had thought about uh, being a ventriloquist or even a comedian or anything, even though I was kind of like the class clown in school, you know, I would always, I remember in high school that I couldn't help but say something if the teacher said something stupid and I would just blurt out something and everybody would laugh and the teacher would laugh too. So it kept me from getting in trouble from going to the office, you know, for, for whatever, but I, I don't know, I couldn't help myself, but that's all, you know, I never thought about being a comedian or anything. Well, I had a dream and in the dream, um, it was so real. And I woke up, I woke up, I sat up in bed and I went ventriloquism. And I found myself the next day at the library, uh, which was like, I know we go to the library, you know, looking up ventriloquism. And I found they had a national association of ventriloquists in Colorado. And so I called them up and they said, Hey, we have this ventriloquist course, uh, and it's correspondence course. And I went, what, how? Correspondence course and ventriloquism. That even sounds weird. But I took <laughs> this course and it's it's the best one that they have on ventriloquism. I don't even know if they still have the association because this was back in, you know, like 1979. Uh, they still may have it. But anyway, it was this course to take and they teach you, they just send you like three little um, pages at a time. And over a period of a year, what you learn to do is to retrain your tongue. Uh, in other words, people don't even realize how they speak, but when you're talking, like when I'm talking right now, my tongue is all over the place in my mouth. It's depending on what sounds I'm making. It's either my tongue is pushing uh, the air up through my nose or, or through my mouth or a combination of both, depending on the placement of the tongue. So what they teach you to do is to make the same sounds differently than you normally do. So uh, when you're doing uh, like W, you know, it's hard to say W without moving your lips. Uh, like if you're, or if you say what, you know, 
it's hard. You get, you know, you, like people listening right now, they'll go wet and their your, your top and your bottom lip move, you know? Well, what they do is they teach you to say uh, double O like somehow in your mind, this plays a trick on your mind, but you kind of, it's like, what, you know, like, what are you doing? You know, instead of what it's like you, you use a couple of different um, letters that you say, and you're able to kind of roll those and you don't move your lips. It's, it's tricky. And like with the B's and P's uh, there's, there's tricks with your mind that you think, you think of a different, like, um, oh, let's see, gosh, it's been so, so long now once I, once I learned it. But anyway, over a period of a year, you retrain your, your tongue to, to push air uh, in a different way so that you can make the same sounds or sounds that sound the same uh, and without moving your lips. So how do you, how do you do M? M, I've, I've tried it and I cannot figure yeah. out how to do M. Let's see. I'm gonna try it right now. Hello, another. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, see, there you go. Hello, another. Well, you can't see if I'm moving my lips or not, but I'm no. I can tell that. Um, yeah, M's actually were pretty. M's and N's were were not that difficult. It was the P's and B's uh, that were Jeez. were harder. Yeah, and uh, I, you well, know, I have to. I have it in um, uh, the person who who actually explained it the best. Um, Oh man, in my my old age here, I'm forgetting his name now. But he's my favorite uh, one. Uh, he's he lives in Hollywood here, and Jeff Dunham. Jeff Dunham. Oh sure. Uh, oh my God, he just cracks me up. You know, he is he is he is uh, just so talented because he has so many characters and they're so well defined. I'll kill you. you know? Yeah, I'll kill you. Right, that's when I like. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. The terrorist. The terrorist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I went to a book signing that he had in Hollywood and uh, he, he signed my book for me. And in there he tells uh, in one of the chapters and I, I, I'd have to look it up here, but I, next time I talk to you, I'll tell you how to do the B's and P's. I just kind of forget. Cause I learned it 1980, you know, well, it's and then been a while. you've been a while. Yeah. Uh, but I, I had a ball doing that. I mean, I, I had this uh, niche that I had doing corporate roasts. Uh, where I'd get like $5,000 a show to go into a company for like a 45 minute show. And they'd fly me in, put me in a hotel, give me a rental car. I'd do this hour show and get paid 5,000 bucks and, and walk away. And it was, I loved it. It was so much fun. Um, but I used the premise of Andy Friendly's a, a little boy dummy. I have real cute little guy. And um, uh, he would be, they would introduce, they would say, okay, we have a special guest tonight. Uh and uh, it's two people. Uh, it's Regan and uh, and our newest hiree, Andy Friendly. And um, he's going to come out and tell what it's like to work for our company, you know, his impression of the company in the first few months that he's been employed. So then, of course, I walk on stage with the dummy, and, of course, everybody laughs like, you know, okay, <laughs> we got this dummy working for the company, you know. And uh, But the premise was, uh, you know, at one point I'd say, well, Andy, uh, I don't understand. How did you, how did, I mean, this is a big company here. This is like, I know when I was in Pennsylvania, I did one for Hershey's, you know. Uh, That's a big company. And I said, yeah. I said, uh, how come they, I don't understand how they'd hire a dummy. Well, it, it slips out that he got the job because he's the illegitimate son of one of the VPs, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> all of a sudden they're seeing this dummy up there and they're, and it, the way people's minds work is like creating this illusion and they can just see this little dummy and they know the vice president guy. So they're seeing him as a son. So, you know, of course the, 
because Andy's the illegitimate son of one of the VPs, everybody's uh, everybody's uh, kissing up to uh, this little dummy, you know, during the day. So girls want to go out with them. So, you know, I would have the company send me a list of uh, of the people and I would ask them questions about the people like, okay, who's the most outgoing of your group? You know, who's the, uh, who's the one, you know, least likely to uh, want to be mentioned or something like that. You know, who's, uh, you know, who's the ladies man of your group? Uh, uh, who's the go getter, you know, who's the, the really, you know, their best salesman or something, you know, and had all these whole list of questionnaire and they would fill out. So I would really feel like I knew the most important people in the company or the people that everybody liked there, you know? So, uh, <laughs> one time I did something for Comcast, uh, they were, I was doing their convention, like, and, um, uh, Harvey, my little talking dog made fun of this one guy and this guy, stood up and he got out into the middle of the thing. He started arguing with my dog. <laughs> and, and I was lucky at that time because my ad libs, you know, I was, he, this guy kept going on and on and on. And every time uh, Harvey, my little dog would one up him and it got to be so hilarious that um, three years later, I get a email from a lady from Comcast and she says, Regan, I was in the lunchroom today and people were still laughing about this guy and what happened three years ago at our, at our convention, you know, and, uh, I, I said, well, thanks for letting me know that made me feel good, you know? So, uh, it was, uh, it was really, um, really fun times, you know? But, well, it's, you know, I got to tell you because, uh, uh, we're going to run out of time here in a little, in a minute, okay. but, but the thing is, is that, uh, over the course of your lifetime, you know, we haven't even gotten into, uh, the handwriting analysis and some oh, of the yeah. other stuff that you've done, but but you are going to appear on Martha Norwalk's uh, uh, show, and I'm going to host it. It's Positive Talk on the last Sunday of the month. Oh, that's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah, and this is going to be uh, um, August 30th of 2020. So if you're listening to this podcast before that, then uh, yeah. you can go to uh, KKNW 1150 AM from nine to noon Pacific on that Sunday. And we're going to talk with Regan the entire three hours. And we're going uh, to touch, retouch on the life between lives and, and uh, reincarnation. And then we have to get into, we haven't even talked about sexual harassment in the, in Hollywood, which is a big issue oh, now. And, yeah. and we've got, we got lots to, I'm sure that you have lots to say about that as well as yeah, your time well, in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. And my uh, crazy time in, uh, in Mexico. And also too, if we have time let's, uh, on your show, let's talk about uh, EFT a little bit because oh, that's, uh, that's a big one. Oh, that's huge. You know, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, you know, and like I told you before, maybe we'll talk uh, more about, uh, my client whose son shot him in the head. And, uh, remember I told you about that one and, uh, and, uh, he was, uh, needless to say, uh, have some trauma from that. And in one session with using EFT, this, this like, this like psychological acupuncture, he, he went from a, a tw you know, in a scale from one to 10, he was a 27, <laughs> you know, I mean, he was, he was just crazy about this and that's why he was doing drugs and everything. Cause he couldn't deal with this thing with his son shooting him in the head, you know? Oh, and sure. uh, we did, we did this EFT, this tapping. And, uh, on the second session, well, the first session, he went from a 27 down to a four, you know, in his mind. And then on the next session, he got down to zero. I'll tell you that was the best feeling that I had because now he's not carrying 
this this crazy energy around it. He can still remember the incident. Of course, you don't forget the incident, but you take away EFP takes away the unwanted extra energy uh, or um, craziness that's with it, and it just gets rid of it, and it doesn't come back. You know, so uh, people realize, and that, like I say, like about half of my clients on my regular hypnotherapy practice are women that have uh, rape and incest and um, violence issues that they've had in their life that shut them down. And uh, for the most part, with the majority of them, uh, I'm able to get them to, you know, back to normal within, uh, you know, a few months, you know, instead of years and years and years like it used to take. Absolutely. So, yeah, we'll, we talk, there's, we got three hours. We can hit on a lot of stuff. It'll be good. And so your listeners now, there's there's just a lot of good things. And um, uh, especially, too, oh, and my website, Visit the Afterlife. Uh, anybody listening out there, check out visittheafterlife.com. And there's some videos on there of people going through past life regression. There's a video on there of a, a young lady going through a life between life session where she goes from a past life and then goes to heaven and comes back. And uh, they can kind of see what that's uh, like in real time, you know. So, well, if you, uh, yeah, so your, your things, website again is uh, visittheafterlife.com. And you can talk to him about uh, EFT. You can you can schedule a life between yeah. lives session. You can do a past yeah. life regression. If you've got if you want to quit smoking, he does hypnotherapy, and you can <laughs> he can help you quit smoking too. Yeah, and actually, most of this can be done on Skype or um, I mean, I, I go all over California. I I still travel five hundred miles to see a client if I'm doing the life between lives thing. But for regular therapy and everything, uh, even the tapping and stuff can be done very effectively with Zoom or or Skype. So, well, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast, young man, and we're going to look yeah, forward to Kevin. the 30th. But now before you yeah, go, before you go, okay. I want yeah, as I generally do, um is there anything special that you would like to tell in the accumulation of everything that you've done in your life and it's quite a lot of bit. It's quite a bit yeah. actually. Um is there anything that you would like to share with our audience as far as what you've learned over the, I don't know how many years you've got, but you've done a lot in the years you've had. So give us a little bit of idea of what you, what. Uh... Okay. Um, well, as I kind of mentioned before, the thing that most people need to do is to realize that their, their lives and the, the difficulties and things that they have in their life are chances for growth. They're not supposed to be meant as like, um, you know, woe is me or like, uh, you know, God is punishing you. Even if you have to go through some karma where you're evening out the score for something bad you did before, it's all about, you know, evening things out and everything. So if people look at things as, you know, difficulties as chances for growth rather than as punishments, uh, you know, like poor me. Uh, in other words, stop, I try to get people to stop being in the victim mode, but to look at it the other way and realize there's a reason and purpose for everything. But the other thing that I like to say is uh, kindness uh, is love with work boots on. And for people to realize that what we're down here basically to learn is to how to be kind. Uh, even the, the uh, Dalai Lama, when you ask him, he said, what, what's your religion? And he said, kindness, you know, uh, and uh, I think if people just go, yeah, you know what, I should just be kind of kind today. Uh, when I was in the afterlife, and uh, one of the things they told me to do to keep myself balanced in this life to make it easy 
was to do random acts of kindness. And it didn't matter if I was picking up a piece of trash that wasn't mine or smiling at someone that needed to have a smile for the day. Um, all those little things um, help us become better people. So that's what I would end with. <laughs> I appreciate it. We've been talking with uh, Regan again, and he is, what's your website again, Mr. Forston? Okay, it's visittheafterlife.com. And uh, the, the book, which is available, most books, well, uh, most online bookstores, but Amazon's the one I know it's on for sure, is uh, three hours, 33 minutes in heaven, and reincarnation is real. They're both up there on, uh, on Amazon for sure. Again, we've been talking with Regan Forston, and so find him at uh, www.visittheafterlife.com. And I would just like to challenge everybody that is listening to this podcast. Your job today, ladies and gentlemen, is to smile at somebody randomly because <laughs> it may be the only smile they see all yes. day long. And it make their day. It can make a difference in, for them, and it can make a difference in your life. And because you are the one who can make the change. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other's all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.